Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. everybody. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Milzoff, senior editor at Billboard and Broadway expert here. So if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I particularly love talking about uh, new musicals and to the composers of new musicals on and off Broadway. Two of my favorite new musicals in recent years were actually fictional. Bombshell and Hit List, which were the shows created on the now cult favorite TV show Smash. Smash went off the air in 2013, never forget, but its fans will not soon forget Bombshell, which had music by the Broadway veterans Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, and Hit List, which had music by a lot of different people, um, including Dear Evan Hansen composers Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, and by my guest today, Joe Iconis. Iconis wrote the hit list anthem sung by Jeremy Jordan and omnipresent in season two of Smash Broadway Here I Come. And that's what first brought him to my attention and put him on a lot of other theater fans radar. But he was a prolific writer of musical theater. Uh, he writes music, lyrics and actual the books of musicals, too, uh, long before Smash. And he's only become more active in New York and beyond since then. Most notably, he wrote a show called Be More Chill, which, as he describes in our chat, amazingly achieved viral fame and complete new life on the Internet, actually years after its premiere off-Broadway. Very unusual. Uh, the original cast recording for Be More Chill actually spent 35 non-consecutive weeks on Billboard's cast albums chart, first entering the chart in late 2015, then falling off of it, only to re-enter in June 2017, and then stay on the chart until basically the end of February recently, which somewhat reflects the unique trajectory the show has taken as a whole. Uh, Iconis to me is the epitome of the kind of exciting young composers who are really invigorating the world of musical theater now, bringing in both a love of Broadway and pop influences. So I was thrilled to talk to him recently about his diverse influences, Smash, Be More Chill, and a lot more. Falling, baby, through the sky, through the sky, I'm falling, baby, through the sky. Here I come 
I'm super excited to meet you as a as a hit list obsessive myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a kind I of person that. I'm sure you never meet. It's incorrect. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but I guess I wanted to start out by you. You have an amazing website that I feel like we should direct people to. It's I feel like everything about it is special from the graphics to like oh you directing people to use your merch as weapons. <laughs> um, but um, I kind of love the way you describe yourself as mm-hmm. a creature of Manhattan who can frequently be spotted banging away at an old dirty piano, um, which is very evocative yeah, <laughs> and certainly so. conjures a, an image of a certain kind of artist. Um, so I guess I just wanted to start with like when you were coming up and, and starting as a composer, mm-hmm. like what were you listening to and kind of how did you envision yourself in sort of the lineage of music writers? Right, right, right. Um, you know, I, uh, I I grew up as a, a sort of ultimate theater geek. You know, I was very much uh, a musical theater kid through and through. Um, I loved, like, classic show tunes. Like, I love, you know, Rodgers and Hammerstein and that kind of thing. Uh, big Stephen Sondheim fan. I love Candor and Abelot. Um, uh, Bill Finn. Uh, you know, to, I, the classic musical theater is like my jam. And so when I was in high school, I only, sort of only listened to cast albums. And then I got to college, I went to NYU. And when I started writing uh, and sort of started discovering my voice uh, at NYU, I, um, I kind of stopped listening to, to cast albums and, and uh, listened to like only other stuff. And like in college is where I was sort of like, oh, there's, um, there's other types of music other than original cast recording. You know, and so then what a revelation! It's, yeah, no, exactly. It's like, oh, like this is what other people have been listening to my whole life while I was listening to like the cast recording of Hedwig and pretending like it was an actual band. You know, yes. um, and so um, and so there's just like a whole bunch of of artists that I that I'm obsessed with that I feel like I rip off from all the time. Like I love Dolly Parton a lot. She's probably my favorite songwriter. The Rolling Stones, David Bowie, Amy Mann, White Stripes, uh, Harry Nilsson, a whole bunch of people. And so, um, I'm a big Harry Nilsson fan. It's, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's rare. I feel like I never run into fellow Harry Nilsson fans. Yes. Um, and so, yeah. And so, my my influences are kind of like all over the place in that way, you know. And I always, um, as far as how I sort of like fit into the <laughs> the 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 musical theater, you know, writers in like the musical theater writer, uh, uh, whatever the musical theater writer version of like the Hall of Presidents is, like however I fit into that, I guess, mm-hmm. is um, I always imagined uh, being someone who had like, had a foot in the past and a, and a foot in the, the future, you know, or it sort of feels like I'm sort of honoring these like, these like golden age traditions of like melody and structure and that kind of thing. Um, but also, uh, doing stuff that feels like contemporary and, and, uh, uh, and edgy and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, you know? So it's like a marriage of like old and new, I guess. Well, it's interesting to hear that you actually got into musical theater first because mm-hmm. I hear such strong kind of, classic rock influences yeah, in your yeah, music yeah. and yeah. I was kind of curious whether when you got, when you got into musical theater whether there were specific things that you loved about classical musicals that you wanted to carry through in your writing and specific things that you wanted to kind of be pushing forward because I feel like you particularly have have done a lot whether purposely or by chance mm-hmm. to kind of show where musical theater can go beyond like a traditional stage environment yeah yeah for sure you know I um I'm someone who I just I value I value uh, good songwriting and I value 
um, the the structure of classic musical theater and the integrity of the writing and um, and and so that's so like in my bones that kind of that style of writing that that's something that uh, it's just it's just how I know how to write you know and it's how I uh, when I approach a, a, a piece of theater it's I'm, I'm, I always have that basis right and so for me it's like having that basis and then having the literal sound pull from things that are contemporary and having the vibe of it feel like something that you know um, that 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 couldn't have been done in in 1950 whatever um, and so uh, uh, and so yeah like I'm not one of those people that I, I, I don't write musicals like for people who hate musicals you know like I'm it's I, uh, I feel like you always hear that about like rock musicals or something right oh it's mm-hmm. the musical for people who hate musicals and that's so not I don't want to do that you know it's like mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of people who love musicals actually like listening to my stuff and and being able to respond to it just as much as people who don't know musical theater at all mm-hmm. you know and and also for me I think um, if there's like a uh, contemporariness to my to my 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 music. I think it's also in the lyrics too. You know, I think a lot of the stuff that makes my stuff maybe feel like uh, uh, not traditional is I feel like I tend to write about really small moments that are sort of blown out into something bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of stuff for me really comes from from film. I'm like a big movie guy, and so a lot of my musical theater stuff I feel like I'm I'm ripping off from movies just as much as I'm ripping off from like other musicals mm-hmm. you know uh, yeah but there I, I mean that makes sense because I feel like there is something sort of cinematic to the way I think of you like mm-hmm. even visually because you're I mean I don't think it's terribly common necessarily with um, composer lyricists to be as comfortable performing mm-hmm. as you are sure um, has that always been a side of you no definitely <laughs> not I was uh, I was a, a shy kid and um, and I uh, not like painfully shy, just like a shy kid. And I I feel like I sort of found my voice as a writer in college as I was sort of like finding who I was as a as a human being, you know. And and um, when I first started writing, the idea of performing was like super scary to me. And I started doing it just out of necessity, where it was like, okay, well, I wrote these songs, and I need to exp- I need to play them for someone you know and um and it's just me and so I got to do it and so it started like that and then it just kind of grew and grew and grew and you know I always sort of like I always love singer songwriters and 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 real people music has been a passion of mine for a while and you know I always like had fantasies about uh, being you know like a rock star and (laughs) and that whole thing never thinking that I would ever feel comfortable enough to to approach that um or you know to perform at all, and so it's really like I'm I'm the most surprised by the amount that I perform, and by like the reality of me essentially being like a frontman for a, a rock band, you know, which is like sort of what the Iconison family thing is. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't what I thought was going to happen mm-hmm. um, uh, to me or happen in my life at all. And it's like so funny that I, you know, I sort of identify now as like a writer performer, and uh, my my mom. Like a few years ago, I, I, I was talking to her and, uh, you know, someone had asked me to sing at something and, and I told her, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go sing it, sing at this event or something. And she went like, why, why would you be singing? <laughs> like, well, I, I do that now. She's like, what? And it's like a couple of years ago. Like, I've been doing it for, you know, like 10 years or something. Yeah. Um, but it's just so, it's so not what I ever thought I was going to be doing. That's funny. Well, now I think of you as like the piano man incarnate, basically. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. You know, I'm clearly cultivating that. Yes. So. Yeah. 
So, like, as your music is starting to get sort of better known, um, I know you you have kind of a group of artists around you who mm-hmm. you call the family, um, mm-hmm. and I think of you as someone who I well, I've had um, the Kerrigan Louder Milk duo mm-hmm. on this podcast too, and. I heard they're a d- they were great. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. So I so I first heard of them because I was like looking up people who uh-huh. I like as performers, and then they were all always singing their music, and it was kind of the same thing with you. So mm-hmm. how who are these people? How did you kind of cultivate them, and like how important have they been to your music becoming known on a wider level? Yeah, I mean, I um, you know this whole idea of the family is such a funny thing because it first started. Um, it it all happened very organically, you know. And I when I first started doing concerts and stuff, um, I would ask these actors who I was just you know fans of, and it was actors who I was you know seeing in shows or actors who I had met or actors who had been in shows of mine. Um, and I just I I love actors. I love good actors. I love actors who feel not sparkly. Um, a lot of like musical theater performances. Yeah, yeah. You know, like um, it's just my my thing. You know, as far as like musical theater performers go, um, I I tend to respond to musical theater performers who are actors first and singers second, and even you know even the ones who have amazing voices. I just like um, I I like a good actor. You know, and so mm-hmm. for me, it's like if I see an actor that I love and that I work with that actor, and she or he uh, is someone that I connect with, I just feel like oh, I want to keep this person around forever and ever. Um, um, until they get sick of me and, and leave me. <laughs> but until that time, I want to keep them around. And so that's uh, sort of how the, the whole family started, where I just sort of found myself performing with this like troupe. You know, and people sort of came and went uh, based on availability, and it's like this ever-expanding and contracting thing. Um, but we started doing, you know, these concerts, and I just started started calling it the family because um, it, it always bugs me when you see concerts and it's like so-and-so and friends. Yes. Because <laughs> I've always thought, like, you're not friends with that person like that's that's a lie like this is a big fake you know lie mm. so I, I like the idea of of uh of of going even further and being like family you know it's like more than friends we're we're in it together yes. and also like we actually are friends you know so many of the people that i collaborate with um are you know they're my best friends in the whole world and so um yeah and so that's how it kind of kind of started and and evolved and now it's just like this mammoth this mammoth thing uh, where there's, I guess, many people who would be considered family members. And I have people asking me, like, how do I audition to be in the family? And it's like, <laughs> it's not like that. It just sort of happens, you know? Um, people in the family don't talk about being in the family. And, first, yeah. The first rule of being in the family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I also like it because it's so, uh, it feels like kind of pretentious uh, in a way that I, I really enjoy, you know? Excellent. I, yeah. Always, always strive for pretension above all. <laughs> it's, yeah, of course. So theatery. Yes. You know? Um, but I mean, uh, it's it's one of those things where, of, of course, I think anytime you're, you're working with, um, you know, good actors who get themselves out in the world, it can only help, you know, get your, get your music out in the world. You know, and I'm I'm really proud of the fact that any any actor, um, probably for you know, with the exception of like one or two people that I've ever worked with that's ever sung my stuff, uh, are people that I think are great, and I and um, and I and I, I work with them because I think they're great, not because I think they're gonna like get me YouTube hits. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm so not into like the theater star fucking thing, uh, just because I think it's I think it's gross and I think it's like embarrassing because you know like the theater star fucking thing is like it don't the only 
most of the people who are like theater famous are only theater famous and so I always feel like you know when I see these <laughs> it concerts only goes so far. <laughs> exactly yeah, you see these concerts and you see people like use you know this whatever you know like theater star you know that they're just using them so they could like you know get some a- attention and I always think like it's not you're not even gonna get that much attention by using this like random person who you mm-hmm. perceive as being famous um, so you know I try to like use people who I think are good sometimes they happen to be theater famous and sometimes no one knows who the hell they are mm-hmm. um, and that's the thing that I like care about the most like a, you know great great performers and interesting actors and all that so um, but we will talk about Be More Chill but before that I, I do mm-hmm. have to ask you about Smash a little bit yeah please um, do <laughs> people are obsessed with Smash still um, for good reason <laughs> and um, particularly people are very passionate about the shows within the show mm-hmm. and um, whether Bombshell and Hit List will ever get made in the real world <laughs> do you have any update for us <laughs> I have I sadly have no update people do ask me about it all the time I feel like if, if one of those shows was going to get made in the real world it would be bombshell it just it's because it's like you know it's just like uh, Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman it feels like a more like contained thing and Hitless yeah. was such like a like a bastard child like 10 million writers well, yeah and, it was very I was gonna say it has to have been the strangest experience because you started out just writing a couple of songs for it right mm-hmm. and then it kind of evolved into you writing more songs for it but then also like various other writers involved so yeah. how did that all happen you know it was just the strange it was very strange very incredible it happened because uh, Josh Safran who was the showrunner of season 2 of Smash uh, unbeknownst to me was just a fan of mine and he was like coming to my concerts I didn't even know awesome. and he liter- literally approached me uh, outside a concert at the Beachman uh, you know a few years ago uh, as I was loading drums into my friend's car uh, and he was like hi my name is Josh Safran and uh, I'm here with a table full of people from NBC and I'm I'm taking over the show Smash and I wanted to talk to you about writing some songs for it it was literally that and like and um, the the two I I only had two songs on the the show but they repeated Broadway Here I Come like a million times so it feels like I I sort of had more Um, but uh, Broadway Here I Come was you know it was a song that was already written and Josh had actually written that first episode of season two based around Broadway Here I Come without me knowing mm-hmm. and so uh, it was just this whole crazy thing where like and so like that he used that to, to in his in his spec script right and then he said that um, that the people uh, some of the people uh, at NBC thought maybe that the song was too sad too slow so could I write another song that was sort of like it that could like do the same thing and so I did that but that song wasn't very good and so then it's it was like a lot of back and forth and then Broadway Here I Come just sort of like ended up last minute on the show um, and I think they were very happy with it and uh, I certainly was and yeah so it was like it was a very surreal is surreal. It was very bizarre, and um, yeah, I'm like very, very proud to have been a part of it, and I'm really proud of the two songs of mine that that ended up on that show. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I'm when you become so known for one thing like that, I mm-hmm. I wonder like, is it nothing but a good thing for you, or was it like? hard to kind of move on to the next step beyond Smash at all? Or was it really just sort of like a moment and you went along with your usual stuff? It was, uh, I think it was a moment. You know, I'm, I'm someone who always has like 10 million things going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, having having Broadway Here I Come and the Goodbye Song on Smash was, uh, was really exciting. And for me, it was only good because I was really proud of those songs. And I mean, that's the only time a song of mine has ever been... Uh, uh, given a platform the size of 
of, of that. You know, that's the only time a song of mine's ever been, you know, on a TV show where it's being heard by millions of people. And so, um, and so that was only great. And for me, it's like, oh, cool. Like all of these people who never would have heard my stuff have now heard it. And so, um, because I was proud of the song, I felt like nothing but nothing but good about it. And in retrospect, feel nothing but good about it. If I, if I like wrote a terrible song where I felt like I was selling out in some way, or I felt like I was compromising my voice, um, then I might be like, Oh, screw that. You know, I can't Mm -hmm. believe that's the thing that people know me for. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's not that I like the song a lot. And, uh, my favorite thing about it is that, you know, so many people, um, don't realize that the song is about suicide, you know, and the the song is about half suicide and half making it on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And some people just get the making it on Broadway part of the song. And so, so like you know they do that song at like elementary school graduations and stuff um, and I love that it, it totally works like it totally works and they can and like kids can sing it and like no one gets the other meaning of it and I love that I love that that song is like yeah. is is it succeeds on that level for anyone who wants to just take it on that level and I mm-hmm. love that then there's some people who are like um wait a minute this song's about suicide um, so in the, and in that regard I feel like I like pulled one I, I, I pulled a fast one or something you know <laughs> like on millions of people and like I got this suicide song on NBC yes, and no and one all like really noticed yeah yeah <laughs> as this like ah. yeah no I know and it's like and what's crazy about it too is that I you know I wrote that song when I was like super depressed uh, and like not feeling great about about life and life and theater and all of that um, and it's just hilarious to me that that's like the only thing I've ever written that's ever like made me money you know it's like I made some like actual real people money well, I, mean, I made like Pesic and Paul money from that one song. Yeah. And and it's the song that I wrote when I was feeling sad, like in my bedroom, you know? So that's kind of cool. Well, it's, I mean, it's funny that uh, you were like, you like wrote for something that has become a cult hit in a weird way. That's like a fictional cult hit. And yeah. now you have a real cult hit on your hands. <laughs> no, I know. Um, I know. So, so be more chill. <laughs> Why don't, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a big Joe Iconis fan mm-hmm. um, recently, and she was like, Ooh. it's so strange. I love Be More Chill, but I realized that I, I'm not even entirely clear about what the story is because I've only listened to it. Yeah. And that yeah. has to be the case for so many people. So why don't you start by just giving sort of an overview of what the story of the show is? Totally. So Be More Chill is a musical that's about this kid named Jeremy here, and he is a really average high school student there's nothing special about him at all he's not uh he's not like weird enough to be like a total loser he's not cool enough to be a popular kid he's just not special and um jeremy finds out that uh there's this thing called a squip that exists and uh the squip is a super computer uh that is inside of a tiny pill and uh, you take this pill and the supercomputer implants in your brain and then a voice tells you how to behave. And Jeremy finds out that all of the kids who are cool in high school take a squip. That's why they're cool, because there's this voice that's literally telling them how to move about the day. And um, and in the, the show, Jeremy decides he's going to get a squip and see if it can help make him cool. And it's sort of his journey um, with with that that's the that's the the general story and the the vibe of it is uh it kind of is like a sci-fi musical comedy it sort of feels like a like a 90s teen movie mixed with like an 80s horror film Mm -hmm. mixed with like a a very serious story about teenage uh depression and suicide and all that kind of stuff 
Um, and it's based on a very popular YA novel mm-hmm. as well, right? Yes, yeah. by the late Ned Bazzini. Um, yeah. It did. It's kind of a funny story, It's kind of right? a funny story, yes. yeah, I for sure. Movie. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there are so many sort of uncanny things about this mm-hmm. show. I mean, starting with the fact that it premiered a few years ago yeah. now, and um, it is hard not to think of it as like like almost like a proto Dear Evan Hansen mm-hmm. in a weird way. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, talking about technology and the weird socialness of high school. Mm-hmm. And um, it seems pretty uh, prescient on your part to turn that into a musical. <laughs> and um, but it's so the the um, evolution of interest in it has been so unusual that like in the past year, all of a sudden there's been this like wave of interest on the internet mm-hmm. and from the youth, as I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> Capital Y. Yeah. So, I mean, when, I guess kind of take me through that process a little bit and when, when was the moment that you realized all of a sudden this sort of influx of interest was happening sort mm-hmm. of out of nowhere? Yeah, totally. So, uh, so Be More Chill opens in uh, June of 2015 at Two River Theater in Red Bank, New Jersey. And, um, and <laughs> where all Broadway hits begin. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, there was a lot of momentum going into that opening and people felt like, oh, this show is going to be a show that like is really successful and transfers to a fancy nonprofit off Broadway theater and then Broadway and like everyone was like it felt like oh this is like mm-hmm. a cool commercial show this is like gonna be the show that like goes all the way you know I'm just saying my in my career I've had a few shows where there's been that sort of feeling and then one thing has led to another and like the show has um uh, died and so <laughs> this was in, <laughs> in, in 2000 yeah, in 2015 it was like oh be more chill this is gonna be the one this is this is it right and so uh essentially the same thing that had happened with other shows it might happen with that we're like there's all this momentum and people loved the show who saw it but we couldn't get the right people in the theater to see it and uh it just kind of closed and that was it um the magic thing was that the theater uh really was proud of the show and they were like we want to make a cast album of this thing and uh, they made it happen. And, you know, cast albums are super expensive uh, and, you know, very cost prohibitive. But the theater, uh, the theater was like, no, we want to preserve this, uh, this score, this show. And so we made the album uh, right after we closed and it came out and people liked it a lot. But, it, you know, it, people liked it in the way they like any musical cast album that comes out, which is to say that, like, the ultimate theater fans are going to, like, be into it. And no one else uh, really gives a shit at all because no one buys music anymore anyway uh, mm-hmm. and they especially don't buy cast albums <laughs> and so uh and so you know be more chill was just kind of there and um and uh people liked it fine but it wasn't like a phenomenon or anything like that and so then like in may of last year uh i just started noticing you know like stuff pop up on like twitter and, and instagram and um of kids uh writing about be more chill and kids like tagging me in things um, talking about like discovering this new show and then it started like growing and growing and growing and then there started to be all of this fan art where they were drawing characters from the show um, and it just it, it just kept growing and growing and growing until it became like it's like literally a phenomenon it's really the weirdest the weirdest thing that's ever happened I've had so many meetings about it now and like literally no one can explain why it happened it's the most like word of mouth totally organic thing there was no somebody driving needs to force. do like a PhD thesis about it seriously yeah there was no driving force behind it like that's the amazing thing no commercial producer 
was attached to the show at all. Um, they're, you know, like, bless them, like Sugar Boom Ghostlight, it's an amazing record label, but like they didn't do anything to like push the album. Mm-hmm. The, no one did anything and it just happened. And, um, and it's it's been this like this monster that keeps growing and and growing and growing, you know. And like um, yesterday, we were, uh, you know I had a meeting uh, uh, with the record label, and uh, we're at uh, ninety four million streams on Spotify, and That's it's crazy ninety four million. Like it's like the numbers are 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 nuts. They're like you know the uh, it's, it's it's obviously not a competition but to put it in perspective it's like the the number it's like Duran Hansen slash Hamilton numbers those are the only other things that are like mm-hmm. in our in our ballpark which is amazing because it was a show that essentially played for six weeks in New Jersey <laughs> without any thing behind it at all you know and so it's uh, it's really incredible it's like the most amazing thing and um, yeah it's just it's just great and it's really exciting and I'm excited to see what we can what we can do with this attention you know well it's I mean I think of it um, the the phenomenon is almost like a a spring awakening kind of thing in terms of specifically Mm -hmm. the way that like very young people seem to really attach themselves to it and like the fact that it's inspiring internet fan art is oh yeah insane I mean what do you have any theories about why it's connecting so much to young people and why maybe now um, I think, you know, I, when I was writing it, I talked so much to, to, to people. Um, and when I say people, I mean like very smart theater people and producers and, and those sorts of people about how I was writing a show about, uh, about anxiety and depression and, and actual kids who feel like they didn't belong and, and, and kids who didn't know if they were gay or straight or whatever, uh, and like stuff that that kids are actually going through, and I feel like uh, a lot of people would look at the show and be like, "Oh, this is like a silly sci-fi comedy," and like that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for me to have kids so immediately like respond to all of the things that I said the show was about uh, is like the most amazing thing. And I think that they they're responding because that's that's like that's what I wrote, you know. And and I um, I I feel like. I, I write for myself when I write and uh, I've had like very many of the experiences that like the characters in Be More Chill have, have had and I love writing for young people um, because I feel like they young people have like you know all of the, all of the stuff like going on inside of them um, that adults do but they don't always have the vocabulary with which to express that and they also have not built up the walls that we as adults build up mm-hmm. Um that stops them from uh, <laughs> from expressing as best they can, uh, and so and so that's I just tried to write that the best I the best I could, and so um, yeah, I mean, and I think that like the 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 kids just they they pick up on that, you know, and it's like I never I I wasn't like writing down to anyone, and um, I was trying to just write truthfully and 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 let these like kids have you know integrity and and have uh, have a voice, and I think that um, the fans just kind of pick up on that, you know, mm-hmm. and also like I and all and all my writing, like, I always try to write. Um, I I always say that I I, I write musicals like. For, about people who normally don't get musicals written about them. And um, in Be More Chill, all of the characters are characters who are like in between the lines. You know, it's like no one quite knows what they want to be. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, this one is our, you know, this is our leading man and this is the geek and this is the that. It's like everyone is sort of in between, which I, that's been my experience of like life, right? That it's mm-hmm. like, it's not as simple as, you know, 
this is the star and this is the sidekick and um it's like it's messy and 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 that's what i wanted to to put on the stage and i think that like you know people people uh, relate to that mm-hmm. i mean do you see it possibly having like retroactively a life in a big commercial theater like would I, you like it to be on broadway eventually of course yeah <laughs> i certainly hope so i mean i you know i wrote it to be to 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 be seen by as many people as humanly possible mm-hmm. you know and i'm someone who i uh even though i think the perception of me is that i'm like like downtown edgy you know <laughs> like too cool for school uh but i i love the idea of broadway i think i love it as a place where you know like strange little shows can exist literally next door to you know the Phantom of the Opera and, and the Lion King and all that, and so um, yeah, and so I would love Beamer Chill to to be on Broadway or really just in any theater um, in New York City, mm-hmm. any theater, but like one especially in New York City because it would be cool to uh, go see it and then be able to walk home. And <laughs> at the end, yeah. <laughs> and in the meantime, I mean, it's it's being produced kind of all over the place. All I over like, the place. I was like looking at your Rodgers and Hammerstein mm-hmm. page and like just the list of theaters and it was just like so crazy like the number of pages that you have to click on yeah yeah i mean and the you know the license has only been available for a few months and there's just been like a huge uh, a huge explosion of beamer chill productions all over the place it's well it's they a, did it in germany last week how do you say be more chill in german i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, it, I, it kind of gets you thinking about the way that shows that shows can happen and mm-hmm. what the what the right stage is for a show. I mean, has it made you reconsider like what success constitutes for a musical and, you know, the, the different ways that musicals can succeed? Um, yeah, maybe. I don't I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, it's, it's funny to, the, the, just generally, I feel like the idea of musicals that kind of maybe live on the internet before they live on mm-hmm. um, a stage stage mm-hmm. or have, maybe are better known on the internet than mm-hmm. for a stage production um, is an interesting just idea to me in terms uh, yeah. of like where musicals may be going. I got you. I got you. Yeah, I think, I, I think so. It's so strange because I, you know, I write, I write these I write these things to be seen live, you know, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of a purist in that way where it's like, I, you know, I don't really, I don't really ever care about like talking about movie versions of things or like streamed versions of things. And I I think those are all great. And if that exposes someone to the work, awesome. But I, you know, I, I like live shows. I like to be in a room with a group of people and experience this thing all together. And so that's, that's how I'm writing these things and, and, and why I'm writing them. And it's just, it's just bizarre that, you know, so many people have experienced my work not that way <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and it's it's amazing it's incredible and like i'm really thankful for it it's just like a strange it's a strange uh thing yeah to no. me you know well it's not something you can plan for sure yeah it just happens and it has gone well yeah um that's cool <laughs> uh i would love to hear too about anything else that you have kind of in process because when sure. I've, I've, I've read about your in development things and there's like a hunter s thompson musical that yes. i wanted to know about <laughs> yes 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 yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, so I've been working on this Hunter S. Thompson musical for very many years, and it's uh, it's in development with La Jolla Playhouse, and uh, Chris Ashley has been directing it, and it's uh, yeah, it's a musical about the life of Hunter S. Thompson, or you know, a sliver of his life. And uh, Hunter S. Thompson, uh, for those who don't know, is the writer of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and very many other things. Um, and uh, yeah, it's sort of like a crazy. 
a crazy uh, docu musical, but not really. I don't even know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> what does Hunter S. Thompson's singing voice sound like? Is it's, what I want to know. <laughs> you know, it's uh, so many people have said that the the real reason that I wanted to do it, and like I've always liked Hunter S. Thompson, but I was never like a Hunter S. Thompson obsessive. I just you know I, I liked his work and and Fear and Loathing and stuff. Um, but I I initially was like, oh man, I gotta write this musical because it's I think it's a really bad idea for a musical like the idea of like putting Hunter S. Thompson both as the star of a musical and as like your singing you know leading man uh, it's just a terrible idea and the way that he speaks which is kind of iconic um, he has you know he, he was a huge drug user and so he has this like you know very strange way of speaking that's like very like like labored and he's hard to understand and just feels yeah. like oh what fool would try to write that guy as a musical um, so it's like I have to this do guy. it yeah this guy yeah neon arrows right to my head <laughs> um, and so it's very like it's like half spoken half sung he kind of like works himself up into singing I think I'm excited about it I think it'll be one of those shows that uh, that people see and are like really electrified by and um, people will like write really nice things about the show and say it's brilliant or it'll be one of those shows that's just like a total disaster <laughs> and people will like literally hate it like audiences will walk out critics will be like this is an, a complete misfire Joe Iconis is an asshole <laughs> Um, but you know, I hope not. I think it's cool. Either way, it'll be an adventure. It's definitely not boring. I'll say that. Not boring at all. Um, so yeah, I'm super excited about that. And then, uh, I just did this other show, uh, at Penn State, uh, a few weeks ago we finished, uh, and it's called Love and Hate Nation. And it's a, uh, musical that's a romance between two girls in a, uh, juvie hall for girls in 1962. Whoa. And it's, um, it's sort of the story of like, a group of young women who learn how to be revolutionaries. Um, and it has a, a, a like a 60s girl group uh, score kind of is filtered through like a 90s riot girl aesthetic. Uh, oh, yeah. So awesome. I think I, I think so. I like it a lot. I'm really proud of it. And so we did this um, this this production at Penn State using Penn State students um, who were like the most brilliant actors uh, ever uh, playing roles that were like they were like age appropriate for it. it wasn't like that weird thing where college students are playing 60 year olds yes. um, and so it felt like real <laughs> because thing. you know because uh, it was uh, and so we did that and now uh, now I'm I'm trying to find uh, a commercial producer who uh, wants to to take that on and wants to produce a show with uh, with eight eight women and one token white guy. Well, I, if there's a moment for it, that moment is now. So I think so. I think. I hope. But that moment should also be like always. Yeah. You know? It, sh- it should be normal. And this is a, a yeah. first step. And I, who doesn't want to hear <laughs> girl, 60s girl groups meets Riot Girl? That would, it, it sounds amazing. I think it's really fun. Yeah. It's, yeah. So I'm excited about that. And then I have the show Broadway Bounty Hunter that we did at Barrington Stage Company a couple years ago that uh, I'm also trying to get back on a stage. And that's uh, that musical is a musical uh, that I wrote for uh, one of my my favorite human beings, Annie Golden. Uh, and it's about uh, a musical theater actress of a certain age who's down on her luck and uh, she can't get work because uh, it's, it's hard for a woman of a certain age in theater and in life. And uh, through a series of events, she gets wrapped up in the world of bounty hunting. And it's about uh, her <laughs> bounty hunting yeah, adventure <laughs> to South America. And it's told in the style of exploitation films of the 70s. So it has like a black exploitation kung fu uh, bent to awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah. I want to see Annie Golden doing kung fu. <laughs> it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, well, it all sounds incredible. Um, and it's so great to talk to you. Great to talk to you, too. Yeah. This is fun. Thanks for having me. Wait as long as I need till my face is dry Or I'll just blame it on weed or something in my eye I'm just Michael, who you don't know Michael flying solo Michael in the bathroom by himself If you're a fan of Billboard on Broadway, please subscribe on iTunes, give us stars and nice reviews. And if you would like to tweet about the podcast, use the hashtag Billboard on Broadway. You can tweet at me at Rebecca Millsoff and hope to have you back next week. Blah, 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 blah.